That was good. I appreciate you guys. I was originally scheduled to speak uh, next Sunday, but Pastor Rob had a change in his schedule, and sometimes that means I have a change in mind, and so I'm excited to be with you this morning. It's been a busy week here at the church. Um, Friday night, we had our date night with Carrie Schmidt here in this room. We had a record number of attendees for that and had a good time with him on Friday night. On Saturday night, our academy was over at the Swarm Game, got to sing, and it was academy uh, recognition over at the Swarm Game in Greensboro. And then for me last night, I got to go to the daddy-daughter dance with my two daughters, and I did very little dancing, a bunch of jumping around, not knowing what we're doing, and having a good time with them. Uh, But Zoe's been before it was Sophia's first night, so we had a lot of fun doing that. This week is Valentine's Week. It's Valentine's Day on Wednesday. This is a public service announcement reminder to the men in the room. It is this week. It's Wednesday, and this is your reminder with plenty of time to do something. And by something, I I mean anything. Literally anything would be great. Uh, But this is your reminder for Valentine's Day being this week. We're going to talk about love a little bit this morning, specifically uh, the love that God has for us. Uh, Go ahead and find your place, if you will, in Romans chapter 8. We'll stand in a minute, but Romans 8 is where you can find your place today. I've been asked before, who was my favorite Bible character, favorite book in the Bible, life verse? Uh, But recently I was asked, what do you think is the greatest chapter in all the Bible? And I had to give that some thought, and Romans 8 is my answer. That's up for debate, but that gets my vote. And this morning I want to show you uh, why that is. The theme of Romans 8 is the love of God. If you're reading through the Bible chronologically or you're reading through Romans chronologically, Uh, Paul really spends about seven chapters beating us down about our sin and talking about how worthless and wretched that we are. Romans 1, God allows us to become reprobate in our minds due to our sinful thinking. In Romans 2, our sin is inexcusable because we violated the law of God. In Romans 3, there's none righteous. All of us have sinned, and therefore we've fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 4, even Abraham, which was their greatest figure that they looked to, Uh, in this time period, couldn't attain to salvation on his own. He had to believe God. In Romans 5, he says that we're weak, we're without strength, uh, we're remaining dead in our sins. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all of us, and all of us have sinned. In Romans 6, we learn that sin reigns in our mortal bodies, and the wages of sin is death. We get to Romans 7, and we may have a desire to do good, but we still sin. We may have a desire uh, to abhor evil, but we end up doing that. And he concludes Romans 7 with the fact that we are wretched. We're wretched people. So by the time the reader gets to Romans 8, if we're still reading by this point, we're ready for some good news. We're ready for some hope. Uh, He's discussed Jesus and the salvation that Jesus brings where the first Adam failed us. Uh, the perfect Adam, Jesus, actually succeeds. And in Romans 8, Paul dissects the love of God displayed for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're new to church, what I want you to know today is that God loves you and desires to have a relationship with you. For those of you that are not new to church, I want you to come away from today's message with a better understanding of the love that God has for you. So if you're physically able and you found your place, stand with me as we read in Romans chapter number 8 this morning. I'm going to read verse 1 to kind of generate a new thought of where Paul is going, and then we'll get into our text, which begins in verse 28. He says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And man, if you've read through seven chapters, this is really good news for you. Look at verse number 28. I'm going to read verse 28 through the end of the chapter. The Bible says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, he, who, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ, who has once died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. This morning I want to preach a message entitled Love Story as we look specifically about the love that God has for us. When I was a kid, I loved to go to the mailbox and check the mail. I loved to receive mail as a kid. I didn't get a lot of mail when I was younger, uh, but I did get some. I had a subscription to the Highlights magazines, and I really enjoyed that. I would do the puzzles and the mazes and look at pictures, and I liked the Highlights magazine uh, that would come in our mailbox. Also, like the JCPenney catalog, and I would wishfully thinking circle things in there that I hoped to receive for Christmas. That was about all the mail that I remember getting as a kid, but I remember going to the mailbox excited uh, to see if I had any mail. Uh, we uh, have spoiled our kids today because uh, now we get Amazon packages on the regular. Uh, we're subscribers to the Dolly Parton Imagination Library, and she sends out free books to kids. If you don't know about that, Dolly will send you some free books, and we get those uh, just about every few weeks. We don't send as many letters in the mail as we used to. Why? Why would we? We have email. We have text. We have social media. There's a lot more convenient ways to getting a hold of each other. But back in the day, before cell phones and laptops, in order to write someone a message, you had to actually physically write it down and put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it. We have an entire generation of people that have never been to the post office, and they never use a stamp, and they're in the service, and they're looking at me like, wow, this is uh, back in the 1900s. Is that right? And, and you're right. It, it was. We have an entire generation that's never done that. I don't um, I remember getting mail and being excited about mail when I was a kid, but now that I've become an adult, I, I don't like checking the mail anymore. Maybe you're like this. All I get is bills. When I, when I was a kid, I would go to the mailbox, and if the mail had run and the box was empty, I was disappointed. And now that I'm an adult, when the mail has run and I go to the mailbox and it's empty, I rejoice and I celebrate that I've survived another day without something that needs my attention by way of a bill. Uh, I brought some mail with me this morning, and uh, this is a piece of unopened mail that was sent to my house, and I'll share more about this a little bit later. But when I go through the mail at my house, I usually have three categories that I put mail into, and it's unimportant, important, and very important. And the unimportant stuff uh, is stuff that's, that's spam, it's ads. Uh, we're starting to get political ads in the mail, and I, I won't get political, I don't care what affiliation you are, but I will tell you this, we are all agreed probably, in the fact that we've probably never received a political 
ad in the newspaper or in the mailbox and thought to ourselves, you know what, I was undecided about this person. But now that I've read this in detail and I know everything that I need to know, I, I've changed my vote. I've decided, I've, I was undecided, now I'm decided. I'm definitely voting for this person. That's probably never happened to you. It's never happened to me, but we're starting to get political ads. We get a lot of spam and junk mail in the box. Those are unimportant things. Uh, then the second level is important. This is usually a bill, something that requires my attention. I'd like to throw it away, but I simply can't do that at this stage in my life, so I have to, it requires my attention. And then sometimes I'll get mail in my mailbox that's very important. I've labeled it as very important because it's a handwritten note or something personal that means something to me. Um, when I was a young pastor in ministry, I got an invitation to go back to the church that I grew up in and preach the commencement for a high school graduation, the school I graduated from. And my, my pastor of the church that I grew up in wrote me a handwritten letter, uh, and I remember receiving that. He's, he's gone on to be with the Lord, but I, I remember keeping that. That's something that's very important. I have letters that my wife wrote to me that I, I consider to be very important. So there's unimportant, there's important, and there's very important. And the reason I differentiate those today is because the Bible is a love letter that God has written to you. He's written to us as, as human beings. He's written to us in, in all of humanity. He's written us this love letter, and He wants us to read it, and He wants us to understand it, and He wants us to, uh, you know, find a way to explain His love for us. Jeremiah 31.3, the Bible says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the love that God has for you. Because the Bible is God's love letter to you, there are five things in this passage that God's love is. And if you got a handout and you want to take notes, you can write these down. There's uh, probably a much longer list than just the five we'll cover today. But if you're taking notes, number one, I want you to know that God's love is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's something that is so hard to believe that if I were to actually tell you about the love that God has for you and were to be able to explain it to you in full detail, you simply wouldn't believe it because it's unbelievable. Look at verses 28 and 29, and we know that all things work, uh, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. If you can grasp the importance of that verse, it will change your entire perspective on life that God loves you so much that He is willing to work all things together for your good. God is at work in your life through all things, the good stuff as well as the bad stuff. We live in a culture where we're inundated with the lives of people who are rich and famous, and it's easy to follow them on social media and see their lives. And when I follow people like that, they never post about their kids getting sick. And it's, it's frustrating to me because my kids get sick, and things don't always go my way. And when I follow lives of other people, they, they're not going to post their bad days. They post their highlights. They post the great things and all, all the wonderful things that are happening in, in their lives. And they never get sick. They've never had bad days. They never show weakness. And it's not reality, but that's what we see on a social media platform? Have you ever had a day when nothing went your way? I had a day like this just last week, and I, as I got in bed that night, I, I laid in bed, and I just looked up at the ceiling, and I thought, you know what? Absolutely nothing went my way today. And I recounted things in my day, and I thought, well, could I have done this differently? Could I have done this better? Nothing went my way today. And I had, I had frustration uh, stories that happened in my life and things that didn't work out the way that they should have and people that were upset with me. And, you know, you have days like this where you would not even win a popularity contest in your own home. I had a day like that a couple weeks ago uh, where I, I wouldn't win a popularity contest. Things would not go my way. Um, now, 
People will misunderstand this verse, but what he's saying here is God is at work on your good days as well as on your bad days. It doesn't mean that God works everything to be good, but he works everything for your good. It doesn't mean that everything is good, but it means that God works everything for your good, even when it's bad and you don't understand it, even when it's frustrating and it hasn't gone your way, even when the decision you've made is unpopular, even when people are unkind to you, even when things go bad. It bothers me. Maybe you've had this happen to you before, but I'll go to a funeral, and right before the funeral, <clears throat> there'll be a viewing, and I'll be standing in line to, to speak to the family who has just lost a loved one, and I will hear someone ahead of me in line say something to the grieving family, such as, well, you know what they say, all things work together for good. Is that Bible? Yes. Is it true? Yes. Is it what that grieving family wants to hear from you today? No, it's not. I've never heard anyone say that and a grieving family member say, thank you. That's exactly, no one has said that to me. It's exactly what I needed to hear. It doesn't work that way. Because God works all things together for good, which means it's an eventual good, although it may not seem good today. It may seem very bad today. It may seem very bad at a funeral home or in a hospital bed. I love Romans 8.28. It's my favorite verse, but I heard an old preacher say years ago, you cannot have a proper understanding of verse 28 if you separate it from verse 29. They have to go hand in hand because we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We know that to be true. We believe that to be true. But you can't completely separate it from verse 29, which says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Why? To be conformed to the image of his son, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This provides context. Again, it doesn't mean that everything is good. If you had a bad week and you had a lot of bad things happen, God's not wanting you to uh, just trick yourself out and pretend that those things really were good, but he wants you to understand that he's bringing about good in your life, even in bad situations and bad circumstances that don't go your way today. We're being conformed to the image of her son. So even when it's bad and you don't understand it, it can still eventually become good because that's what his plan does. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus, you're a Christian, that's what God is doing in your life. He's transforming you, and He's molding you and conforming you into an image that looks like Jesus. He's chipping away at you like a master sculptor would chip away as He molds and creates what He wants. God has created you and designed you into something very specific. And although you can't see it today and you can't understand it today, He's chipping away at you, and the chipping away that He does at you will look differently than the chipping away that He does at me and the chipping away that he does at the other people on your row because we weren't all created to be the same. But he ultimately wants all of us as believers to be conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus. So is he working all things together for good? Yes. Even when things don't seem good, will it eventually be good? Yes. And the purpose behind that is because he is conforming us better into the image of Jesus. So regardless of the differences in the chipping away he does with each of us, he's molding us into something better. Well, this doesn't seem better. It doesn't look better, doesn't feel better. Nobody else thinks that it's any better. Verse 28 says that it's according to his purpose. You don't write, get to write the script in your life. I wish that I did. I wish that I would get to write the script in my life. I wish that that was up to me. I don't get to write the script. I don't get to go over any editorial changes. I don't get to proofread it. It's just out there. God's got it, and I can't worry about it. He works all things together for good, even in the bad. We don't get to choose how we're molded into looking like Jesus, but we're promised that it works out for our good. 
and the good things and the bad things. He's working all things for His glory and for your good. In verse 30, He's predestined us, He's called us, He's justified us, and someday we will be glorified. That's what makes the love that God has for us so unbelievable. Number two, not only is God's love unbelievable, it's unconditional. It's unconditional. Look at verse number 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The end of verse 34, it says that he's at the right hand of God because he's been raised and he's interceding for us. The love that God has for you is unconditional, which means there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any less, and there's nothing you can do that would make God love you any more. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you any more. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you any less. There is a popular restaurant here in Kernersville, and I love this place, and I eat at this place every time I get the chance to, every time I have opportunity. My kids love this place. It's a good family restaurant, and it's very close proximity to the place that we're sitting here today. The only problem is they're closed on Sundays. It's not just some Sundays. Chick-fil-A is closed every Sunday. And I'll tell you what, as, as most Baptists are, we love a good Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. And what better than to enjoy the Lord's chicken on the Lord's day, right? Now, I get it. It's their conviction, and they're closed on Sundays, and I understand that. I applaud them for that. But I'm telling you, I could have used some chicken minis this morning. There's a, a lot going on for us today. I could have used some chicken minis this morning. I would love to enjoy a Chick-fil-A sandwich for lunch today, but you know what? Not going to be able to do that. I would love nothing more than to watch the Super Bowl tonight with a party tray of Chick-fil-A nuggets, but it's not going to happen for me. And if you planned ahead and it's happening for you, let me know what time I need to be there. I don't get to do it. I don't get to go to Chick-fil-A on Sundays, but I love Chick-fil-A. I want you to raise your hand if you are also a fan of Chick-fil-A. Let me see your hands. Wow, good company here this morning. You can put your hands down. How many of you, you are such big fans of Chick-fil-A that you have the mobile app on your device? Let me see it. Let me see your hands. Raise them up. All right. We're going to do a fun exercise today, okay? I want you to get out your phone, and I want you to go to the Chick-fil-A app, but do not click on it, okay? Don't click on the Chick-fil-A app. Just open your phone, go to where the Chick-fil-A app is, get ready to press it, okay? We're going to do this exercise together. I think it'll be fun, and if it's not, we'll never do it again. So you see where the app is on your phone. Okay, you ready? Everybody, everybody unlocked, ready to go? All right, let's click on the app right now. Everybody click on the Chick-fil-A app, okay? You, you looking at what I'm looking at? Dark clouds, building is closed down. Here's the verbiage that gets me. Look at this. We're closed on Sundays, Jason. Can you hear the tone? Are you seeing this? Do you guys have this on your phone? We're closed on Sundays, Jason. We can't let you have food here. You can sit in the drive-thru all day. We're not coming out to serve you because we're closed on Sundays. We don't want you ordering food here, eating here. We don't even want you to open our app on Sundays, Jason. That's what it says. Kind of. We're closed on Sundays, Jason. Come and see us again on Monday. It makes me feel bad for even opening the app on Sundays. Does it make you feel a little bit bad? It does me. Dark clouds, don't even think about us. So let's say, this is an extreme example, but I'm going to use it because it's so extreme. Let's say that I'm so ticked off and I'm so upset 
that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, that I just, I've had it, it's enough. You've made me feel bad by being closed. Now I have to see the app that makes me feel even worse for what I've been through today. So today, I've decided I've had enough. I'm going to go to Chick-fil-A tonight, and I'm going to burn the place down, okay? <laughs> now, that's an extreme example, I know, and I'm really hoping Chick-fil-A does not burn down today because you'll all suspect that it was me. <laughs> but let's say that's what I did. Let's say that's what I did. Two weeks goes by. You're like, man, I cannot believe some psychopath arsonist went over to Chick-fil-A and burned the place down. Can you believe it? It just newly remodeled. It was so nice. We waited like a year. We had to, we had to drive all the way to Union Cross to get chicken for, for so long, and it looks beautiful in there. It's remodeled. The staff is so nice. It's always their pleasure to serve you, and some moron went and burned the place down. Like, and then you see my face on the news. Local pastor burns down Chick-fil-A across the street from church. Now, that's extreme, I know, but if it happened, be honest, you would think less of me for doing that, right? I, I hope that you would. You can, you can admit it. I'd think a lot less of you if you burned down my Chick-fil-A across the street, but you would think less of me if I did that. The truth is, there is nothing so terrible that you could do that God would be like, you know what? I don't think I really love them anymore. I certainly don't love them to the level that I used to back before they burned down the Chick-fil-A. God doesn't operate that way. In our, in our mentality, our finite thinking, you know, people do things we like and we like them better. People do things we dislike and we like them less or we love them less. Uh, we, we do this with our relationships with each other. We do this with our neighbors, our coworkers, our spouses, our kids. You're on my good side today, I love you more. You're on my bad side, I love you less. That's just how we were created to be. But God does not love us anymore or any less based on how we live our lives. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you anymore. There's nothing you could do that would make God love you any less. Uh, another extreme example, if I stood at this door as you left today and I handed out a $100 bill to everyone that came today, you would love me more regardless of if you really like me or enjoy my preaching or think that I burned down Chick-fil-A. You would like me more if I put 100 bucks in your hand. I'm not gonna burn down Chick-fil-A nor am I gonna give you 100 bucks. Those are extreme examples, but it illustrates the fact that we love people with varying degrees based on how we see them or how they treat us. But God does not operate that way. There's nothing we could do that would make God love us any more or any less. His love for us is immutable. It's unchanging. It's unconditional. Number three, God's love for us is unending. It's unending. I read Jeremiah 31.3 earlier, but God said to the people of Israel through Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This means from everlasting to everlasting. His love is unending. A couple of weeks ago, I got a text from our high school principal here at the academy, and he said, we're going to be doing a pep rally on the Friday of homecoming. And I know a lot of you came to our homecoming game on Friday night a couple weeks ago, and he said, we're going to be doing a pep rally on Friday of homecoming, and we're going to have all the, the kids in the stands and on the gym floor we're going to do a staff and faculty dodgeball game. Would you like to participate? And I said, possibly. Um, who is participating? And they said, well, it's mostly teachers and faculty from the academy, um, but we've got a couple of the pastors have volunteered to participate as well. And I said, is that right? I said, are, are the pastors going to be on the same team or separate teams? And he said, separate teams. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> we, 
we, uh, we were divided into four teams, and there was a semifinal and another semifinal and then a championship game. And uh, I'm already going to let the cat out of the bag as to who won the championship game because if I had not won, you would have heard this illustration probably a week or two ago, okay? So just to throw that name out there. So we had a lot of fun with this. And the way that dodgeball works, uh, according to the rules, is we had these uh, clocks going and there was a timer. And at the, when the timer goes off, whoever had the most players still won. So the way that we played it was if you get hit with a dodgeball, you're out and you stand in line on the sideline. And then if you throw a dodgeball at someone and they catch it, not only are you out, but someone that had been out from their team gets to come back in. So it was a two-person swing every time someone catches the ball. So it was intense. And, you know, the kids, especially the elementary, they were yelling. They were going nuts. It was an exciting atmosphere. And so we're in the, we're in the final game, and there's a minute to go, just under a minute to go. And the, the score is three people to three people. And we're on opposite ends of the floor. And we've been throwing dodgeballs at each other. I think we started with seven each, and now we're down to 3-3. Three, three. And with a few seconds to go, our team decided we're going to be aggressive. We're going to go after one of their guys. So we did. We got one of their guys out. It's 3-2. And so then we were like, hey, let's, let's fall back. Let's not be aggressive. Let's fall back, and let's, uh, let's dribble out the clock. Let's just let the time expire. And the other team was going nuts. They're like, come on, bring it on, cowards. And we're like, yeah, maybe, but we're going to win the game. And so all we had to do was stand back, wait till the buzzer sounded, and then it was over. And we won. And the truth is, that dodgeball game had a clock. And once it expired, the game was over. And the truth I want you to understand is that everything you've ever known in this life has a clock. It has a timer. It has an expiration date. And one day... It's all going to be over. You may not want to admit it, but your marriage has a clock because one day one of you will be taken out of this world before the other. Your marriage has a clock. Your, your children living in your home, that has a clock. You may be watching that clock today. I don't know where you're at in your parenting. Maybe you're watching the clock wondering how much time do we have left here. Uh, but maybe uh, everything in life has a clock. Your vacation time has a clock. Your car has a clock. Seasons of life have a clock. Even coupons that we have have a clock. Everything in this life expires and time runs out at some point. But there is no clock on the love that God has for you as a believer. It's unending. It doesn't stop. There is no buzzer. There is no time expiration. Look at verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he mentions some things. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. This service time has a start, and it has an ending time. I've got on my watch, I've got about 15 minutes till I'm going to try and be done today, because i got to let you out, and i got to let you go home. I can't just be here all day. This service has a start time. It has an end time. When your kids go to school tomorrow, there will be a start time. There will be an end time. Everything we've ever known in this life, we were born, and someday we will die. Everything has a clock, a beginning and an ending. But the love that God has for you, it has no beginning. It has no ending. There is no clock. There is no timer. Maybe you're here today, and you've never heard the truth that God loves you just the way that you are, but He does. He loves you just the way you are. Now, he loves us enough that he doesn't intend for any of us to stay the way that we are. That's why we have verse 29, where he's conforming us and transforming us into an image that more closely resembles Jesus. He's molding us, but his love for you never changes. It never expires, and God loves you. Maybe you're new to church, and you've never heard that. You've never heard that anyone loved you. 
Your parents didn't love you the way that you wanted to be loved, and you, you had some tragedy in your life, and you had some hardship and some conflict and things that didn't go your way, and you think, am I unlovable? The answer to that is you're not. God loves you, regardless of your background and your ethnicity and what you wear and your pronouns and your spiritual background and what you think about life or who you're voting for. God doesn't care about any of that stuff. He loves you just the way you are, and He loves you so much so that He wants to redeem you and transform you into the person that Jesus was. God loves you. His love for you is unending. God's love is unbelievable. It's unconditional. It's unending. Number four, God's love for you is unlimited. It's unlimited. Not only does it not expire, but it, it never runs out. There's always an unlimited supply. Look at verse number 37. Paul is actually answering, no, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. He's answering the question that was asked from verse 35. Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? Is there anything that could come in between us that could separate us? And he answers, no. You can't, it can't be stopped and it can't be cut off. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Have you ever been to an all-you-can-eat buffet? Man, those places are fun and a little dangerous. Uh, it's fun to go to those. I, I enjoy going to an all-you-can-eat buffet. Maybe you've been to an all-inclusive resort where everything's included. The food is included. Everything's included. The room, it's included in the price. And we love things like that. There's a particular all-you-can-eat buffet that my kids like to go to and uh, it's called CeCe's Pizza. I'm not a fan of CeCe's Pizza, but my kids are. They love to go to CeCe's Pizza. I don't have that app on my phone, but my kids will always ask, can we go to CeCe's Pizza? You know why they want to go? Because it's unlimited. And when they go with dad instead of mom, it's even more unlimited because I cut them off a lot later in the game than mom does. So mom will cut them off sooner. They like to go with dad because, you know, dad's trying to eat, and the kids love it, and they're like, man, we love CeCe's Pizza. And I remember one time after we had gone, I just told my kids, I was like, why do you like this place? I said, this food tastes like cardboard. And I'll never forget, one of my kids said to me, yeah, Dad, but it's unlimited cardboard. <laughs> and I thought, that doesn't make it taste any better. I don't know why you would say that. We go uh, to Myrtle Beach on vacation, and there's a few places that we like to go that are all you can eat. And one of them is a steak place, and those places uh, that are all you can eat are very dangerous. But when you get to the table, uh, there's all these little circular cards that are on the table, and they're all flipped to red, which means stop, don't bring me any more food. And as soon as we sit down, you know, we, me and my brothers will go, and my dad, and as soon as we get there, you know, we're, we're flipping that card from red to green, and they just start bringing food. And they keep bringing it the entire time that your card is red. And sometimes you're full, but you're so full, you can't reach over and flip the card from green to red to make them stop. And so they just keep bringing it. And you got to flip the card over to red. But the reason I tell you that is because God never flips the card over to red. Or, or yeah, to red. It's always been green. It's been green from eternity past to eternity present, and it never goes red. And God just keeps the love coming, and it's unlimited. And there's more than you can ever use, and it'll never run out, and it will never expire because the love that God has for you, it's unbelievable. It's unconditional. It's unending, but it's unlimited. He's saying to you, there are no limits on the love that God has because I'm full of love for you. And if you use up all the love that I give you today, there's going to be fresh love for you tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that for all of eternity. So he's saying there's no limits on the love that I have because I am love. And because of that, you have become conquerors as a result of the love that I have for you. That's what Jesus says. 
Because of the love I have for you, you are now a conqueror. His victory is our victory. I didn't do anything to achieve this victory. I didn't do anything to merit this love. And if you try to merit the love, you can spend your whole life trying, and you would never do anything worthy enough for the love of God. But He gives it to you, and it's unlimited. Number five, God's love for you is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Verse 38 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to think about the scariest thing possible. What do you fear the most? This could be something happening to you. This could be something happening to your spouse or your kids or your parents or a loved one. This could be a situation. It could be a sickness. Any kind of scenario. I want you to imagine the scariest thing possible, the thing you fear the most, the worst case scenario for you. And what Paul does in these verses, primarily in verses 35, 38, and 39, is he lists all the things that he could think of that you would be concerned about that could separate you from the love that God has. So you got your thing in your mind? You got it? What, what is the most fearful thing that you can face? Look at what he covers in verse 35. Tribulations, distress, persecutions, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Tribulations. These are bad times, hard times. Maybe you mentioned that. Distress. This could be stress, depression, anxiety, persecutions. This is some type of pain that has been inflicted upon you. Famine, not having enough. Maybe that's your fear. I'm going to run out. I'm going to have a lot more month than I have money, and, and it's, it's famine. Maybe it's nakedness. This could be physical needs. This could be interpreted as humiliation. Danger or sword. This is the feeling of being unsafe. Then he goes on in verse 38. Death. This is the worst thing at all of all. Uh, the death of a loved one, the death of someone that we have spent our lives with. Angels or rulers, these are things or entities that are more powerful than we are. Things present, these are tough times today. Things to come, this is an uncertain future where we have no idea what's around the next corner. Height or depth, things that we don't understand and we can't fully fathom in our minds. And then he says in verse 39, or anything else in all creation. This is for the leftovers. Anything that I left out that you thought about that I didn't think about. Maybe there's something that was going to be this perceived evil that you're going to deal with 2,000 years after Paul writes this, which is where we live today. Anything else in all creation, just in case I left something out, that won't be able to stop God's love for you either. And he writes this to believers in its primary context, to children of God. He's covered everything imaginable. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. It's unstoppable. Well, it's almost unstoppable. Now, I said earlier and in the beginning that this passage is written in context primarily to believers, to followers of Jesus, to those who are in Christ. For those of you who are in Christ, God's love for you is unstoppable. But if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, then the love of God actually could be stopped toward you. And I want to explain how that is. Paul has already implied this earlier in Romans 1, but there is one thing that can actually separate you as an unbeliever from the love that God has for you, and that one thing is you. 
We said that the Bible is God's love letter to us, but you can choose not to receive any letter that you get. This is a, an offer. This is a, I've been pre-selected to receive an offer, and I got this in the mail this past week. And so it's, it's mailed to my house. It's got my home address on it. It's got my name, and it, it's not been opened. This is a letter that has been sent from a company to me. And if I wanted to, I could open this, and I could see what the offer is. And I could try and understand, is this something that I want? Is this something that I don't want? I've been pre-selected to receive this offer. So if I wanted to receive it, I could. Or I could choose not to receive this letter at all. And so the reason I brought this today is because I'm going to choose not to receive this letter that has been intended for me. And so instead of opening this letter, I'm just going to rip it in half because I don't care about it. And the reason I did that is because this is how some people treat the love that God has displayed toward them because they've never accepted His love. It is stoppable toward them because even though God extends His love, they have rejected it. They don't open it. They don't read it. They don't receive it. And so the love letter that God has given to us can be stopped. It can be rejected. It can be ignored. And it is by so many others. Now, the love that God has for you as His child, as a believer, that's unstoppable. It's all those things I said and so much more. But if you're here today and you've never received the love of God in your life, you can stop it. And you can stop it by simply denying it or ignoring it or saying, thanks, but no thanks. I'll pass. Have you ever responded to the love that God has for you? Has there ever been a time when you realized that you were a sinner and there was no way you were going to be able to make it to heaven on your own, and you had to have someone do the hard work for you? That person was Jesus. Occasionally, I will get a, I'll get a credit card offer in the mail with some kind of promo, and they're usually uh, a promo like, hey, zero uh, percent interest for 18 months, or no annual fee for the first year, or no foreign transaction fees on this card, or whatever. And when I get an offer like that, instead of uh, throwing it away if I don't need it at the time, I'll, I'll kind of put it to the side, and I'll keep a stack of offers like that in case there is a time when I do want to respond to an offer that I'm qualified for. So I've got a, a stack that I keep for things like that. Don't open them, just kind of put it to the side. Well, probably about a year ago, I get a letter like that. It looks like a credit card offer. And I could feel that it had like an actual card in it. It felt like there was an actual card in the envelope. And I thought, wow, they kind of jumped the gun and went ahead and signed me up for this card. Well, I'm not going to open it. I'm not going to uh, activate the card. I'm just going to hang on to it in case I need it. So I let it sit there. About a year went by. After a year, I decided I was interested in getting a new card. And I said, well, let me look through those offers that I received. And so I looked through uh, that pile. And I came to that particular envelope that had the card in it. And I said, well, if I want something quick, this is probably the one that I need to go for. And I opened the card, and it was actually not from a credit card company, uh, but it was instead a Visa gift card that I had qualified for that they had sent me. And I looked at it, and I thought, wow, this is sweet. I never get anything like this. This is a $50 Visa gift card. This is awesome. And I looked at it. It's got my name on it. And then it says, funds expire upon card expiration. And I thought, hmm, wonder, wonder when I got this, wonder when it expired. And so I looked and it said, you've got about 12 months to use this $50 Visa gift card. And I kid you not, I looked at the fine print, this card expired three days before I opened it. What a drag. 
And I saved it because I wanted to share this with you. This illustration cost me 50 bucks right here. But the truth is that if you don't respond to the love of God in your life, at some point, it is going to be too late. Now, it's not too late today. If anyone will hear the sound of his voice, today is the day of salvation. Hearken to his voice. Don't be hardened as in the day of provocation. I mean, there, there are a lot of passages of Scripture that if you're hearing the Word of God, you have a chance to respond. It's not too late today, but there will be a day when it is too late. There will be a day when the time for you to respond to the love that God has for you has passed. And I hope by that point, you've made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus. The love that God extends to you today is worth so much more than this $50 Visa gift card that I let expire. It's too late. I can go to Chick-fil-A tomorrow and try to swipe this card, and I can promise you it's not going to work because I waited too late. My question to you today, for those of you who may be new to church or don't have a relationship with Jesus, has there ever been a time when you accepted the love of God into your life? His love is all of those things that I said and so much more. Has there been a time when you've made it personal? I'm not asking about church membership. I'm not asking about your tithing record or what you give or what you're involved in here. I'm just saying, has there been a time when you realized, I am lost, I need to have a relationship with Jesus, I don't have one, I need to make that decision? For you, the application is simple. You need to accept the love of God. For those of us that are believers, I want to read one more verse to you before I close. Before Jesus went to the cross to display his ultimate love as a sacrificial lamb for us, he said this statement to his disciples, and it's always stuck out to me. Jesus said this in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward another. Jesus said the singular identifiable characteristic of whether or not you are in me is by the way that you love and treat others. That's it. That's how you know. The way that they'll know that you've received my love is the way that you express that love to other people. So the application for us uh, who are not saved is you need to respond to the love of God, the love letter that he has for you, because there will be a day when it's too late to do so. But the application for us as believers is, do people know that we are in Christ because of the love that we express to others? It's a convicting question. It's a convicting thought. That's where I'll close today. Have you accepted the love of God into your life? Let's pray. In a moment, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. But before I do, I just, I just want to talk with you privately for a moment with nobody else looking around. I would just ask that you take a moment to examine your own heart and your own life. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you responded to his love letter to you? I'm not asking if your parents are saved or if your grandfather was a pastor or if you go to church or give to church or do stuff for the church. Those are all great things, but none of them will get you into heaven. There's a million ways to Jesus. Jesus is the only way to get to God. He says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and nobody gets to my Father except through me. If you have never said yes to Jesus, I just want to tell you, today's your day. 
I don't know what the expiration date is in your life. But today's the day you can say yes to Jesus. His offer doesn't last forever. If you don't have a relationship with him this morning, if there's anyone here that would say that, Jason, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, or I, I just don't know. I don't know that I have a relationship with him. I'm not going to point to you or call you out, but if that's you, you would say, I don't know that I have a relationship with him. Would you just lift your hand for a moment? I just want the opportunity to pray with you. I want to pray for you. If there's anybody in the room who would say, I, I'm not sure that I have a relationship with Jesus. Anyone like that? Okay, I saw a couple hands. You can put those down. For those of you that did raise your hand, I want you to know the love of Jesus is right here for you. Not just in this church, but in his word. He expresses his love toward us even before he knew what today was going to look like. Even before he knew what we were going to respond today. He wants to have a relationship with you. Jesus says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For those of you, though, this morning that are saved, nothing can separate you from the love of God. I don't know what this year has looked like so far for you. Nothing can separate it from you. Not broken romance, not tragedy, not financial hardship, not even death. Maybe you'd say today, Jason, my hold on him is frail. And I would encourage you by reminding you that his grip on you has never been stronger. Are you living in the love of God? Do you demonstrate his love to others? Not everything in this life will be good, but God's sovereign love means that he is ultimately working all things together for his glory and for your good. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one toward another. Have you accepted his love? Do you express his love toward others? Father, we're grateful for the time we've been able to spend together in your word this morning. Lord, we're beyond grateful for the love that you have demonstrated in sending your son Jesus to be the propitiation and the atonement for our sins. Lord, I pray if there is one here this morning that raised their hand or maybe one that didn't, that does not know you as their savior, I pray that they would make their way forward this morning. They would see one of our counselors at the front they would make their relationship with you personal, intimate. There's no amount of works that can get us to heaven, but we're thankful that you paved the way for us through your son and the shedding of your blood. Or we're thankful for the work that you've done. Lord, for those of us that do have a relationship with you, I pray that we would emulate your love by loving one another, by serving one another, and by demonstrating your love for us in how we treat others. I pray that you would be pleased in that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, all over the room. If you have a need and you want to come to the altar, we've got uh, people standing by that would pray with you about that. Uh, but you come this morning as we sing.